Thanks for joining the Ross Republic podcast. I'm Adrian, partner for Digital Banking. This episode is about the next generation of financing for software as a service businesses. And I'm joined by Sakit Kumar, who is the co-founder and CEO of WIT. Thanks for joining, Sakit. How are you doing? I'm good, Adrian. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for having me. It's a lovely, sunny day here in, in London. How's the day treating you? Great. I'm based in Berlin and uh, yeah, so we can see winter is coming, but uh, yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> actually looking, looking forward to, to hopefully white uh, Christmas, but let's see how it goes this year. A short description from my side about the company you're building. So VIT is a fintech company that provides fast, non-dilutive financing to software as a service companies, both venture-backed and bootstrapped um, by converting their recurring revenues into upfront cash. And prior to founding WIT, Saket has worked as a VC at Global Founders Capital as well as La Familia. So Saket, how would you describe WIT's value proposition in a few simple sentences, for example, to founders listening that have never heard of such a financing solution before? Cool. Like, as, as you said, right, like our goal is to be fast, non-dilutive and, and founder friendly for any kind of SaaS business out there. Yep. We want you to be able to access capital at a few clicks of a button. Right. So, you know, you go to, to our website, you register two clicks to integrate two data sources and, you know, we give you an offer within 24 hours. We can, you know, wire the cash like as soon as you, you sign the contract. Um, it was a problem that I saw firsthand as a VC, you know, how that process works. Right. You, you might speak to, to an associate. You know, often I, I might have been that associate, right? I, I'll get back to you. You know, the, the founders will always respond in, you know, you know, 24, 24 hours, you know, sometimes I'll respond in a week um, because I'm busy. And then the moment that founder has a term sheet, you know, suddenly I'm like uh, asking them for more time and to delay the process. Um, and it sounded, it, it felt a little ridiculous at, at the time. And, you know, we're trying to make the most founder friendly financing solution out there. All right. Sounds amazing. So, of course, we'll dive deeper into that in a minute. Um, and of course, in this episode, uh, we'll discuss also underlying trends shaping the software as a service market, also the software as a service financing solutions that are out there and how you um, enable SaaS companies to get growth capital without giving up equity. First into question, you already touched already a little bit uh, on it, but um, obviously before you've been working in the VC industry and if you're Googling around um, the you know a new type of SaaS financing solutions it's always a little bit positioned against VCs or that it's better than VCs but um, based on the insights you had uh, from working in, a, in in the VC industry what insights led you to founding founding such a new solution I mean I think there's basically two types of SaaS businesses that you can talk about right like bootstrap SaaS businesses and and venture backed SaaS businesses and if you're a venture backed SaaS business what does that mean I think VCs are looking for basically two things right they're looking for high growth in a high term, right? And the moment one of those two things falls away, i.e. your growth rates slow down, or they figure out the TAM isn't there, or the hypothesis around TAM is wrong, then the money dries up quite quite quickly, right? And so a bootstrap business typically is a business that either operates in a niche, so the TAM was never there, or they're just not growing fast enough because you know the, the founder doesn't want to grow a hyper, hyper growth business. Yeah. Right. Um, and so to kind of take a layer below that, right, the kind of insights I saw is that there was a bunch of bootstrap SaaS businesses that were popping up that effectively had no financing solution, right, or had limited financing solution because they were never a good fit for VC because they failed one of those two two criteria. And then banks and traditional financing kind of options didn't really make sense for them, right? And so you have all these kind of bootstrap founders who, you know, they don't have great sources of capital. Um, they're growing really you know, strong businesses. Some of them even have fantastic growth rates. Um, but, you know, there's no real way or 
for them to kind of access capital to kind of put, put the afterburners on. So then I was yep. like, okay, so these customers, these like, I mean, SaaS businesses at the time, but now we view them as customers, right? Um, they are, you know, essentially like, there's a dearth of options for them, despite the fact they're building fantastic businesses that we all believe would be the future of the economy. So I think that's kind of the first thing. And the second thing on venture back is, you know, it's just like the process is suboptimal, right? And at a certain point, like at a certain level of maturity, you know, if you put a dollar into a, you know, a SaaS business, how much cash is coming out. And if you know that, why are you giving up equity, right? Like, how does that really make sense? And it kind of felt that there was just a lack of financing options for this like new reality, right? Where if venture is, is risk capital at a certain point beyond the series C or the series D, like, are they really funding like risky, like risky actions on, on the business side? And it kind of felt like, no, right. And so I think the thing, the way like we we would view it to kind of summarize is that you know for one customer segment, this blue shot customer segment, you know we try and offer them a financing solution that maybe they just haven't like you know haven't been able to find a financing solution outside outside of potentially kind of friends and family. And for those kind of you know venture back businesses, you know we like to to offer them kind of op- help them optimize their di- their dilution, right? Um, so instead of you know giving up maybe twenty five percent or twenty percent at the at the next round, maybe you only need to give up fifteen. All right. No, that sounds pretty uh, complementary, actually. So uh, um, we see, I guess, we see funding and these new type of financing solutions can definitely work uh, um, alongside each other for many businesses, actually. So um, we also talk about this in a, a little bit later in the podcast. Um, before we talk about Bit and exactly how your solution um, is uh, is built up right now, um, let's talk a little bit also about the macro factors that are really pushing these new financing solutions. And I think it's great that you had like these um, hands-on market insights from the VC industry, looking at VC companies that, uh, sorry, at uh, software service companies that um, are actually um, not the best fit for VC or could also use other financing solutions as well. How do you look at the overall like software as a service market right now? Um, I've, I've checked a little bit um, some facts before the podcast, but it looks like it's it's still a high growth market, right? So um like overall in 2021, um, the software as a service market is estimated to be worth approximately um, 150 billion US dollars. Um, a recent survey uh, by the 2020 European SaaS benchmark actually has shown that the annual recurring revenue at the end of 2019 versus um, 18 has grown by 150% for software startups that have below 1 million annual recurring revenue. So really small shops, but still it's an impressive number. And then it's 90% for one to 5 million and even still 60% for SaaS companies above 10 million ARR. So it's still very high growth, um, a large market, obviously. Um, Cloud unicorns in the European Union and Israel have doubled uh, this year already compared to the whole market, whole uh, 2020. So even though SaaS business models is nothing new, it looks like it's still not finished yet, right? So what, what's your view on like the outlook on, on SaaS? Is it is, is the pie expanding or are you like sharing your market share with others that are already on the market? Yeah, I mean, I think the simple answer is the pie is expanding and the pie is already huge. Right. I, mean, I think that's the kind of simple, simple kind of TL, TLDR of, of the space, which is that, you know, SaaS, we've started to see it eat the world. In particular, you know, we work in, in tech, right? Like when we speak to maybe our friends' businesses, they're also super, probably super modern, right? And like how they run their stack, what they're using, right? They're not using G Drive, they're using Notion, right? Like they don't, they're not using email, they're using Slack. But that's still a very small percent of the of the world right and you're kind of seeing it more and more with you know modern modern software businesses right they're going into construction they're going into you know restaurants they're going into broader hospitality these industries are still pretty archaic 
right? I don't know if you ever look at the um, the kind of tablet that you'll have in a restaurant, right? Yeah, and sometimes you'll see something very modern like a Resi or, or something or a Seven Rooms. I think that's the name of the software. But very often you'll see software that, you know, probably me and you could have designed that UX on, on paint, right? And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not even that good at paint. <laughs> I haven't used it since I was uh, in, in primary school. Um, and so like the software market is increasingly being, being eaten up um, by, by SaaS. And so that's why I think you're seeing those growth rates. I think the one thing I'm really excited by in Europe in particular is there's a lot of localization, right? You know, you yep. might have like a, a, a SaaS company that, you know, solves, let's say, uh, a specific workflow in, in hospitals in, in Germany, right? That might be a meaningful business on itself. Maybe not a unicorn, but a meaningful business in itself. But then that workflow probably doesn't exist in Poland. In Poland, it's probably a different workflow because the regulation is different. And it'll be different in Spain. And it'll be different in you know, um, Sweden and the United Kingdom and, and these sorts of places, right? So I also think that in Europe in particular, because of you know, geographic fragmentation, regulatory fragmentation, there's just a huge opportunity for you know, these kind of you know, 1 to 20 million ARR SaaS opportunities um, that are still being built out, that founders are still attacking, that local entrepreneurs are going to go attack, right? Um, that, you know, as, and as these kind of, essentially starting your business becomes more and more in vogue, for want of a better, yeah. want of a better word, um, I think we're going to start, you know, seeing more and more SaaS companies kind of exploding out of, out of Europe. And then at the mm -hmm. top, you're seeing these huge dominant like global players as well, right? Like you see like a Pazonio, for example, out of out of yep. Germany. Um, so I think you're seeing both, right? And that geographic fragmentation is is going to create and is creating kind of a lot of I would say the long tail, right? Of problems yep. being solved by kind of you know bootstrapped and ambitious founders. But then it's inspiring that you see at the top end of the market as well, right? Like you know players like Pazonio really, you know, they might be the the dominant player in globally for what they do right i mean i can't yep. think of a of a us peer maybe rippling right that which is doing something slightly different right from a from a go-to-market but that's kind of yep. it and i think that's also really inspiring inspiring sorry so yeah, i guess to kind of summarize i think the pie is huge i think europe is having its moment and i think what we're trying to do right is by giving founders another financing option right let's not just have a moment right let's yep. be the defining place that people want to build want to come and capital providers want to allocate to over the next kind of 10 20 30 30 years right Sure, sure. Amazing. I think you already also touched upon that topic um, that is, is popping up right now in this hype, which is vertical verticalization of uh, SaaS companies or vertical SaaS. Um, so what, exactly what you just mentioned that, I mean, 2000, 2010s up to now, we had a lot of um, SaaS companies that um, have built like a horizontal business. So like the HR tool for everyone or like um, the accounting tool for everyone. So so right now, um, um, SaaS founders are taking more and more like niche niche verticals and we see it like it's crazy. You see every week a new funding round for um, an ordering or, or like a customer management CRM tool for barbershops or for like repair, car repair shops, right? So it's I think it's a huge trend that that is also, I don't want to sidetrack here, but it's also influenced by embedded fintech. So SaaS founders have more and more options to monetize even small uh, addressable markets because they can just integrate, let's say, payments or add on uh, credit cards and get interchange fees and so on. So, so you add on top of uh, SaaS fees, um, new revenue streams that make um, attacking smaller markets more attractive than it was maybe before. So even that is now fueling um, um, that you see more and more vertical SaaS companies because it's just possible right now. So um, I feel like that's um, definitely a huge growth market. Is it still the case that you, in Europe, UK is still leading in SaaS uh, compared to other European countries? I mean, I think what's happening is 
in terms of like i mean the specific numbers i need to kind of double check but i think like the uk and, and germany seem to be ahead if i if i remember correctly but i might but i might be yes. i might be wrong on that i think one thing that you know does help like british SaaS companies in, in particular is the language right like english speaking the predominant tech press is still american right so i think it becomes a little bit reinforcing that it's just easier to come it's easier to have a an interview with a with you know on a, on a podcast like you know the tech crunch podcast whatever with an english speaking founder etc etc so i think these things like maybe like like color that perception a little but i think they're exciting SaaS businesses everywhere right like i mean i spoke a little about kind of um Pizzonio earlier which is like a german business in that space right like there's also like factorial in, in spain as well which is like in a similar model which is also a super exciting business so i think in general across europe we're seeing like dominant kind of SaaS players um emerge um but i definitely think yeah, maybe it's a little bit easier for for the for the british kind of companies to you know get their get get their day in the sun just because the tech press still is is predominantly um american or at least you know places like tech crunch etc and i think what you said about verticalization is like totally aligned into, into essentially the margin on every given customer is really increasing um, but it also reminds me of like a funny moment that that for my career because like i as i my kind of my background is the way i got into startups is i worked for a startup called vanaday which was a SaaS enabled marketplace for beauty services, um, you know, booking your haircuts, massages, spa, like this sort of stuff. Um, and I remember there being this one company that was just doing SaaS, um, right? So they weren't doing the marketplace piece, right? They were just doing the SaaS piece. And me, and me being like the, you know, like, you know, just being the, the, the intern on the team, not having that much context, I was like, oh, these guys are, these guys are, are messing up, right? Like, how are they only doing the SaaS yeah. piece? Like, how is this going to be big enough? Like, we're going to, like, we're going to, like, really, like, you know, like, like, you know, crush them, right? Because, like, we have yeah. economics on both sides. This is easy for us. But I, I remember going on the website, being, oh, the product's a bit better. I mean, it was a lot better uh, because they were just focused on one thing, right? Um, and then I saw, like, earlier this year, that company's called Zanotti, like, became a unicorn. And, and like, right. company I worked for Vanity is, like, basically, you know, like, like um, basically only works in one market now. So it was, it was actually, like, a learning for me. Like, I was like, oh, like, how can you make money just selling, you know, SaaS to spas? Like, how is this going to be big enough? And clearly it does get big enough. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, it's like a funny, it's a funny learning as well. And me and my co-founder often also joke about uh, about DocuSign, right? Like, they just turned the wet signature line into a, a multi-billion dollar, dollar company. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think SaaS is, yeah, I think it's only going to get bigger, to be honest. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense, of course. And um, another another trend, I think I've mentioned it a few times already before in this podcast, but it's um, it's it's the growth in financial related APIs. Um, so so I think a few elements are now coming together to that enable new financing solutions um, for for SaaS businesses that also empower it. Um, so they're like every year there have been over 600 financial APIs globally added, which is related to open banking, for example. So banks opening up transaction data, opening that uh, um, data up over PSD2 API feeds, for example, and so on. Like there's a whole trend of APIification of like fintech infrastructure, so that banking infrastructure tooling is opened up through APIs. Um, so more and more companies uh, tap into transaction data, banking data, but also um, additional data from ERP systems, from accounting systems, uh, insurance, and so on. So I think that you can now, first of all, you have enablers um, like Coded. I think we'll talk about it later as well. We had them in the podcast actually um, a few weeks here um, that now um, do the hard work and connect to these APIs and let, let you basically plug into your clients' um, ERP, ERP systems or uh, accounting systems. So I think that that is an extremely important element as well to be in place in order to pull something off that makes it possible to have a two-click financing solution, right? 
what what's your what's your view on like this whole um enabling pieces and infrastructure piece that that is now um, um an important element of all like new financing solutions yeah no totally totally agree right i think a lot of these kind of apis have you know lowered the barrier to entry or the, the all the startup costs and the lead times on, on building right like you know using using a plate using a using a coda using a, a true layer right you know even pulling data via via stripe um or via recurly is a lot easier than it was even you know five years ago and, and 10 years ago it's almost like a different a different world right like you kind of have to build all this um in-house so yeah like totally totally aligned that like you know the proliferation of like high quality apis is making this a lot a lot easier or maybe it's maybe a way to think about it is like it's making the shipping out the version one of the product a lot a lot easier i think what then becomes the more interesting challenge right is that well if all the building blocks are are, are there for you you can be increasingly creative right in terms of what you build how quickly you build it um because you know these guys are doing a lot of the piping for you right they're you know they're doing the kind of plumbing and so there's no excuse not to be even more customer obsessed right and even more creative about kind of solving customer problems because you know your, your your tech team your product team isn't sat there figuring out how to pull accounting data for you right they're not figuring out how to integrate you know zero because like kodak's done it for you um and i think that's something that really we enjoy um is that it definitely gives us the ability to focus on the tooling that matters for for our customers right um so i think that's kind of one 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 piece and the kind of kind of second piece right as well is that it makes you know the kind of like you know the increasing challenge of you know just you know staying up to date in terms of you know what like a modern tech stack right and just having that experience because it's it's almost inexcusable now to like you know have things that are maybe overly stodgy or overly slow when you have you know up essentially you know played working on on parts of that or, or code working on parts of that and you just have to you know make sure you're up to date and and uh and, and shipping right um and, and update yep. and so yeah so it's for us we just view it as a as a thrill right because we can work on on the All problems right. and, and the product things we want to be working on yeah um another trend i was uh thinking about is like the general market sentiment of uh yeah i think in general everyone who's 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 building a startup, um, of course, including um, SaaS uh, business founders, is like the general sentiment on on VC. Um, and of course, they're a bit sarcastic, but I just um, have some screenshots here of, um, uh, of uh, you know, um, uh, articles out there um, that uh, sound like why venture capital doesn't build the things we really need. Um, an un unusually candid VC explains why VCs are a bad idea. Is venture capital worth the risk? Blah blah blah. So it's it's and you know, sometimes you see high-profile founders that after building up, you know, quite successful companies are then opening up around horrible experiences they had with VCs, for example. So, um, is do you feel like, of course, the, it's 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 uh, the, you need to take that with a grain of salt, right? But um, how, how do you feel like the general market sentiment? Because of what what you experienced on the other side as a VC, um, have you heard anything about from founders that um, are looking for alternative funding solutions or that feel pressure to if you don't take VC then you're done? Or like is that is that uh, is that still a thing? Do you, and and secondly, I guess I, I can even imagine there's a market pull. Like if you go out with bid 
um, there are people waiting for it because um, it's just a, a general situation that um, you don't have much choice and um, there's but still there's demand for it. Cool. So I mean, I think on on what you're what you're saying, it's there's there's, there's, a two, there's kind of two two pieces, right? Um, so one that kind of like you know general kind of like sarcasm and, and glibness people have towards towards VCs. It's, it's quite funny right now being on on the other side having been a been a been, a, been an ex VC. Um, and I honestly think a lot of that just stems from like from the idea that like the business you're building, that's it, right? There is no kind of, you know, other option for you. Um, whereas, you know, that's that's just not the case with your investor, right? Um, so I think a lot of that, a lot of that like stuff just stems from that like simple, that simple fact, right? Um, so I, I do take it with a, with, a, with a grain of salt because I mean, like with our investors, for example, I, I think they're excellent, right? Like if I, if I call them at, you know, 10, 10 p.m., 11 p.m., right? Midnight, 1 a.m., whatever, if they're awake, they pick up. And if they're not awake, they, they call back the next morning, right? So, I mean, I think we've had like a phenomenal experience with, with our investors and it's a, it's a pleasure to, to have them on, on board. Obviously, there are people who maybe are, are are less sympathetic to the founder founder fly, but um, luckily enough we've, we've managed to avoid them. But yeah, I think a lot of that honestly just stems from the you know the kind of classic kind of tropes as, as kind of happens in any business relationship that kind of repeats itself. And I'm sure you get the kind of same memes between like engineering and, and product as well, right? That you know it just doesn't get it just doesn't get the airtime in in, um, in the press. Um, but I think to kind of your your second point around you know the market pull etc. Yeah, we definitely speak to founders. Who just don't want to deal with external investors um because it creates a complexity right you know i always say that once you take on venture definitely post series a right you increase your resources a hundred percent right if a sequoia or index or tiger comes in and gives you 40 million dollars your your resources have increased but your options for success have decreased and they decreased materially um and i think that's something that a lot of founders are becoming increasingly savvy around it's like you know i could like you know i could raise you know 40 mil or 20 mil or 30 mil or whatever it may be um and that's great but if i own 100 percent or 50 percent, if you have a co-founder if i own 100 percent or 50 percent of a you know 5 million arr business the exit landscape's getting better as well right so someone might acquire that and if they acquire that at somewhere between 10 to, to 20x I probably didn't work, the work might not have been as stressful, right? Because it's not hyper growth all the time. And I'm maybe even going to make as much, if not if not more, like personal returns. So yeah, I think that's something that we definitely see with the customers that we speak to, um, who are very positive around, you know, maintaining ownership, you know, not wanting to get on the VC treadmill. Um, but, for, but, but for other businesses, it does, it does make, it does make a lot of sense, right? Um, if you're on kind of a, win all you know win, win at all costs kind of kind of space and you know obviously it makes sense but there are plenty of founders who are increasingly wanting to, to opt out absolutely yeah uh, fully understand um so then let's use the remaining time to talk about um with and what you're building right now um so it's clear that you focus on on SaaS businesses um how do you define your initial target groups because SaaS is obviously also a huge segment um, do you now in from the beginning um segment according to b2b versus uh, you know, B2C um, specific um, range of ARR industry, geographic um, reach. Um, how, how, how do you, how do you measure like your initial target group and or define it? And how do like, is there a specific customer you have in mind that you're building um, initially? So for right now it's B2B only, 
Um, obviously, yep. the B2C opportunity is, is out there with respect to occurring, but like right now, we're, we're focusing on, on B2B because we just want to be very, very tailored on, on our approach. In terms of like who's a good fit, I mean, we're pretty open, right? Like if you have more than 100K in annual recurring revenue, so roughly 8.3K you know, in monthly recurring revenue, um, then you know you could be a fit for what we're what we're doing, right? Like we really want to yep. partner with with SaaS businesses from very very early. We are we are live in in the UK right now, um, and also a couple of you know European markets are on the on the horizon pretty pretty shortly. So yeah, we're we're live and kind of deploying. And in kind of like how we think about our, our customer segments, like kind of beyond that, as mentioned, right, mix of kind of bootstrapped and, and venture backed, right? So we have a couple of, you know, customers, you know, who, who we're chatting to at the moment, who are, you know, very recent businesses, the sorts of businesses that really benefited from kind of lockdown and everything, the move to digital and are growing very aggressively, but want to own ownership. Um, but, you know, you can also speak to businesses that are, that are, that are venture backed. One quick question about that. If you come in um, to a business that is already um, um, a venture funded business, how do you, do you, did you already get, get initial reactions? How do we see welcome uh, with coming in as with additional financing for these companies? Is it? Um... I mean, honestly, it depends on a, on a, on a case by case basis to be, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, if we're talking to, to a customer who like, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're off the kind of venture kind of pathway, right? Maybe they're, they're not seeing an, an A or a B or don't want to raise an A or a B, right? It's pretty, you know, it's pretty, pretty complimentary, right? Yeah. Um, and I mean, to be honest, if you're already on the, if you're already on the cap table and you already have how much ownership you want, right? Like really we're also saving the, the investor's dilution, right? So it, you know, it tends not to be as much of a, of a bottleneck as, as people, as people imagine. Yeah. And especially now as it's becoming more popular as well, um it's just you know it's like the one thing that you know when things are unfamiliar there that's when people are cautious even if there's no reason to be right but i think it's a pretty pretty standard behavior um but as the space is becoming increasingly like well known or some of these vcs also have investments in the space um and so they're intimately familiar with it not really been much of a much of an issue to be to be perfectly honest all right great um how, how do you reach um your customers then I, I, because i know from like traditional business banking um or even like digital neo banking um if you want to reach smes it's kind of um it, it it's costly there's a huge uh, customer acquisition cost for for traditional banking um you know come in with a even as you said like financing solution that might be uh, something that you need to explain to potential um, SaaS founders what it, what exactly it is and so on how do you reach your first target groups because you're just starting out is it is it more around your personal network you've built in SaaS? um is it around um yeah partnerships maybe even with uh, accelerators or um how, how would you describe like your go-to market how do you reach these um SaaS businesses cool i mean so i think the one thing to kind of note that at least from a from a, from a cac perspective um and again maybe it's just because we're very early and very fortunate we haven't seen very high cac yet um, that might change. Maybe that's an issue with with scale. Um, but really, there seems to be a lot of kind of demand for for this sort of kind of financing, at least from like you know our kind of customer converse, conversation. Again, I appreciate that changes. You know, when you're you know when the deployment is in in the billions, right? Very different different kettle of fish. I t totally appreciate that. Um, in terms of like how we do it right right now, classic mix of you know outbound um like leveraging leveraging my my network and also you know getting getting kind of introductions through you know i would say informal partnerships not, not formal partnerships um by you know the kind of investor network that, that you may that you might imagine but yeah in terms of you know how we how we how we view it right um 
yeah, we, we just haven't really seen that kind of impact on, on, on CAC. Okay, sure. But like um, your biggest channels are then like direct outreach to, to SaaS founders, right? Or are you, yeah. are you going, do, do you think you can build this just by scaling through, all, through like digital marketing and not, not having to call founders? So I think, yeah, I mean, I think digital marketing will be an important part of, of the, of the value prop. I think what will be increasingly interesting and it's not, not live yet. And so I can't speak too much about it, but it's like when there are other reasons to be on the VIT platform, right? Like when you can come to the product and we're offering, you know, maybe like analytics or dashboards and like these sorts of things, right. That are, that aren't, that aren't built yet. I think yeah. that will start to also materially decrease kind of, kind of CAC, right. The kind of the fun one that I always think about, which doesn't directly apply, apply to us, but I think it's like at least instructive is I think about the, the, the Zillow score, right. Um, and like the Zen estimate is like, that's a reason to go to Zillow, even if you're not selling a house. Um, that's a reason, you know, and that's like a, that's like a fun thing, right? That's like not, that's like not like super practical. Um, probably people just use it to see how expensive their, their boss's house is. Um, but, uh, but that's like the sort of thing where it's a reason to go, go back to that website, even if you're not, even if you're not kind of selling your home. Um, and that, that's kind of what we think about as well, but probably in more practical terms, like what are the reasons to kind of come back to, to VIT time and time again, even if you don't, you know, even if you don't necessarily, you know, want, want financing um so yeah so that's like in the in the long term kind of kind of strategy of how how we would like to kind of keep customers on 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 the platform right? and i think there is something to that where particularly you know kind of real-time financing i think that would be a huge unlock right because i can say from personal experience of having been been a founder if you told me as a founder that i could just go on an app and they would tell me how much money they'll wire in my cash today i mean that's yep. like a reason to go to the app pretty often right yep. even if you don't necessarily need the money today yeah, absolutely. No, uh, creates peace of mind for sure. So I think let's uh, let's let's then talk um, more about your proposition. You already touched a bit upon it, but let's maybe first um, clarify what exactly your financing solution is versus what's what's out there already. Um, because there's now a growing amount of providers that do software as a service financing. Um, of course, like Pipe has been the pioneer in the US, and of course uh, that has inspired a lot of um, players. But not everyone is following the same playbook and the, and the same model, right? So I would I would um, just quickly um, clarify what sort of financing is out there and um, how it compares against it. Um, so in a traditional sense, if you need like short-term financing, you go to your bank, right? Um, and and of course, everyone knows that's not as easy as it sounds, but depending on, you know, how old your business is and if it's a soft, pure software business versus a more asset-heavy businesses, um, that that really changes um, your experiences uh, in, in obtaining funding from your from your bank. But um, in the traditional sense, um, you, you go to a lender, they give you a business loan, which is like a simple cash uh, transaction for, for interest, right? Um, as simple as that. But of course, the, um, I would say the benefit is obviously non-dilutive, mostly, or I would say generally a lot of businesses can obtain um, like debt financing. Um, it's, it's not that restrictive and, and it's quite spe a hugely specialized market segment already. There's factoring, there's like asset-based financing. Um, you can go into overdraft, um, revolving credit and so on and so on. So it's, it's like an own segment, I would say. But um, yeah, we've also done some, some research recently in the UK where we found out that uh, the large majority of of businesses just go to their like house primary bank house bank to to obtain funding because um even they even if you would get a better rate somewhere else 
it's just too much hassle because you need to send them PDFs, you need to send them, um, you know, uh, account statements um, and so forth. Your balance sheet, it's it's a process that takes forever. And in the end, the, the interest repayments that you have to make are not always aligned with your own business interests, right? It's more like aligned for what the bank wants to get the heck. And then you have additional headaches like um, providing assets uh, for uh, as a security for the loan and so on. So I, I guess even if you're a SaaS business that's growing well, not every traditional bank will understand your business model and um, provide you financing because you don't have assets in a traditional sense. So of course, you have IP and so on. But um, um, I guess um, going to um, like HSBC or like Deutsche Bank, if you're a SaaS business that's that's high growth, um, might not be the best option. But what's what's been your perception on like typical loan financing? Is that still um, how, yeah, how would, how would you describe it? I mean, that last point that you said, right, that you that you will have a very different balance sheet. Um, like, I think this is the main problem that traditional banks seem to uh, seem to deal with. Right. And there's like a great book. actually I, I read about this called Capitalism Without Capital, um, which is essentially right. about the rise of kind of intangible assets on, on the balance sheet. And I think it's like, you know, getting at the same problem. Right. Which is a lot of these SaaS businesses, they just don't have a balance sheet that banks fully understand. Right. And, you know, and it's you know and which 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 makes sense right like because if you look at the next step you know because banks have to think about the downside as you always do when when you're lending right like quite quite naturally is you know if a restaurant goes into bankruptcy there you know there's a lot of data that okay that oven in liquidation is worth you know 50 cents on the dollar right this like industrial fridge is worth you know 40 cents on the dollar 60 whatever it may be but like if a SaaS business goes into into liquidation what does it mean? Like, what does the brand mean? What does the kind of the goodwill that's stored on the balance sheet actually mean? Right? Um, and it's hard, to, it's hard to underwrite that. So like totally, totally aligned. And I think this is the main issue that banks have with underwriting these, these, these SaaS businesses, particularly given traditional underwriting is, is typically backwards looking, right? Um, they look at, it's a point of time kind of test on your balance sheet and backwards looking in terms of like your numbers, right? Your rev, your gross profit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then that kind of gets us to, to where we are, right? And like how we reevaluate re businesses. And like, we are really focused on on the lifeblood of, of a SaaS business, right? You know, MRR, ARR, you know, the churn, you know, the, the, the respective margins of the business up and down the kind of income statement. Um, which, you know, banks are just not as akin to kind of focusing on. And we, we understand how to focus on because, you know, my background was, you know, I was a VC for, for years, right? I've seen like multiple kind of SaaS businesses in my time to, to put it, <laughs> to put it, put it differently. Um, but, you know, also my kind of co-founder, right? Like he founded his own business previously as well, has like a, like, you know, even though, it's like, you know, comes from a technical background, was like, well, it was like Commerce Bank as well, right? So kind of understands like how to, how to put it all together as well. Um, so I think, you know, that's how we kind of understand and kind of look at risk. Um, which which is a why we're able to be very quick, right? Because all that data is stored in those various APIs. You kind of meant, or accessible, sorry, by those various APIs that we kind of discussed earlier. But it also means we can be very fast. Um, and so I think that's how we kind of compete, right? Well, one like we're underwriting customers in a way that just banks struggle to um, if they can't do it at all. But then we also compete quite aggressively on speed um because everything for us ideally is just you know we pull the data we put it into into our underwriting model and then we spit out an answer 
All right. So how how would you then compare to a traditional um, yeah um, debt financing? It's it's it, it, you get cash for for your recurring revenue basically on a, on a yearly basis. Um, and I think a major difference is as you mentioned um, as well before, it's it's not um, like a standard interest repayment, but it's based on um, your cash flow that you're generating in the future, right? So I think that's also more aligned to um, the business model of SaaS firms versus just a gener generic um, interest repayment, right? So I think that's um, a major difference also in um, uh, the product market fit, basically, for uh, for software businesses. Yeah, exactly. So we, you know, just to, to run through maybe a simple example, let's say, you know, you run Adrian SaaS and you have, you know, a contract that's worth, let's say, $120. So it pays out, you know, $10 a month. Um, and you can come to us to get that financed out. And, you know, let's say we can give you $110 up front and then you can kind of deploy that. Maybe you want to hire a, a PM or put it in marketing, whatever, like no restrictions on the cash, right? You can do whatever you want with it. And then, you know, we collect, you know, the $10 a month over a 12 month period um, on, on, on this example. Um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I mean, for customers, it's very flexible because that contract's already there. Right. So it's nothing new. Also, the flow of funds um, goes from kind of customer to SaaS business to us. So, you know, we're not, we're, not t we're not touching the end customer relationship. We're not, you know, interrupting it in any way. So it's no kind of stress um, on the SaaS fund either. It's just, you know, convenient capital to kind of deploy into whatever, whatever your strategic goals are. Um, and, you know, we, we collect the, the monthly payments for, for 12 months. All right. And from an infrastructure perspective, you're then using, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Codet, Plate, um, PSD2 kind of aggregators um, that flows into your underwriting engine. How would you describe like your um, your competitive advantage? Because as you mentioned, like these type of APIs are out there in the market. Anyone can use it. But I guess what really differentiates you is, first of all, as you mentioned, um, a deep understanding for SaaS metrics um, and of basically underwriting models for these type of software companies. Um, so that flows into your into your underwriting engine. After that, you get out the specific uh, margin you would like to get on the um, future receivables. How would you describe like, um, yeah, um, how does it work out? Like, is, is that your um, key competitive advantage or would, it, would you rather say it's like your specific go-to-market model and your team and so forth? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to kind of flag up, right, is that I think this market is huge and I think there'll be kind of multiple, multiple winners, obviously. In terms of how we kind of compete, right, is, yeah, we obviously try and like compete by having the best team on the planet. Um, I feel very, very privileged to work with the people that I, that I do. It's... Um, yeah, it makes every day a, a joy to be to be honest. Um, and then, like in terms of like how we actually compete in kind of you know in the product, right? Like I think you've kind of seen our product or maybe like gone through through the flow through through the flow yourself. Like we try and be very slick, like a very user friendly UX, right? Not a lot of you know complexity, very lean, just abstract away the complexity that exists with finance, right? Um, as as much as is possible. Um, and I think that's one thing kind of referring to earlier in the conversation, right, is that what these building blocks enable is that, you know, you don't have to spend as much time on, on the plumbing of your business, right? The kind of, you know, pulling the, the data via Coda, you know, they did it for you, right? You don't have to integrate with 10 accounting providers, don't have to integrate with all the banks every time you launch a new country because Play did it for you. And so then you can just be obsessed about, you know, what are the creative and frictionless ways I can solve problems for, for my customer? And I think that will be you know, what will be the winning differentiator over, over time. Because in the, in the short run, many players are offering similarish solutions, right? Like a financing solution for, for a SaaS business or for a software business. Um, but in the long run, like what differentiates, you know, 
what differentiate these players will be the will ultimately be the quality of the product, right? Um, and and honestly, that quite often happens in financial services. Like when I look at you know something like payments, which is like quite far away from what we do, obviously. You know, is it is it obvious that Stripe was going to be a huge company? Like, is there like a market structural reason that they should have been huge? Not really. Like, it's obvious that there should be multiple large payments companies, but is it obvious that one should be worth like essentially a hundred billion, if not more, depending on secondary transactions? Um, not really, right? But they were obsessed about their customer. They continually executed, right? Um, and they just kept leveraging the previous building blocks that they were building and the new building blocks every every other third party provider is building. And we just like you know focus in a very similar way, right? Um, by just giving our customers the the best end experience they want, solving you know the problem that we want to be solving and um i think everything else um follows from that absolutely and i think um of course i checked out your your first mvp that you're um that you put out there um it looks really like streamlined in a good way so that you're not um it's really clearly focused on the financing right now um one key element of um like financing fintechs um is always the question do you want to stay transactional or do you want to build like a a more like a, let's say a sticky product um, because obviously financing is like something um, as you said like you maybe check out a few times how much how much is it worth um, how much can I get from it um, then you get it and then you're using it to fund your operations um, or for growth and so on but um, potentially you could do much much more obviously so um, you have already all the data in place you can um, you, you could even like expose your analytics for these companies because you know exactly um, how efficient they are uh, with their capital. You know um, all the SaaS metrics related to their business and so on. So um, I think that's a general um, like kind of question. Do you do you want to stay transactional, which of course means um, you need maybe also um, a larger market that you can address because it's just focused on that transactional part versus going more into, as you mentioned, customer obsession. Maybe they need analytics on top. Maybe they go for other things to with as well. Um, and also very, very interesting is the question, um, you, you give them the capital, but how will they deploy it? Will, because it will sit in their account. Um, maybe they need to give it to, uh, you know, um, a head of finance, a head of marketing, whatever, and they would like to get a credit card to spend all of this um, money. Right. So that's, I think that's, uh, that can be very interesting. Um, I guess another another route to market could be embedding your solutions into other tools so that, you, that you're kind of um, uh, reaching out to other other um, interfaces that are, have already a large amount of SaaS um, founders or businesses on the platform. But um, is there anything you can share around options, how, how you see the options in general, and um, maybe anything you can share around your own your own vision where, where you could go with it? Cool. I mean, I, you know, we have to be a, a little vague, obviously. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, the goal isn't to be transactional, to, to put it to put it explicitly, right? Like, we want to be there for our customers in the long run. I think that's, you know, that's best for us as a, as a business, right? Because as you say, one of the challenges of anyone who's kind of financing our customers is that you kind of have to reacquire them every, you know, six to 18 months, depending on the duration of, of your financing agreement, um, which just makes the business quite expensive quite quickly, right? Um, in terms of like how we want to do that, it's again, kind of obsession around around product, around the problems that our customers are having and just kind of solving them, right? Like the first problem that we wanted to solve is how do you get um, how do you get financing as quickly as possible? And you've noticed, right? The I would like to say that the experience is for an MVP, pretty seamless, pretty slick. We try and keep it very clean, very user-friendly, not 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 bloated not in any way kind of overly overly complex um but as we look to more problems we just kind of you know layer layer them layer them on right um because I, I i totally i totally agree with you that you know once you are you know providing kind of capital financing that starts to create you know second order problems right which is basically now i have the capital and what 
right? Like, you know, um, like, what, like, you know, what, what should I do with this money? How should I spend it, right? And, and customers will often, you know, have to make those decisions themselves and perhaps incomplete data, or maybe they have the data, but they don't fully understand it, right? Because the competency isn't, isn't hardened into the, into the org, right? Um, so yeah, that's something we, we think about a, a lot in terms of like the product roadmap and like where we can be going um, on the on the customer side, um, because yeah, I think that's how you build a uh, a defining defining business in, in absolutely space, right. Fully agree. Um, but what, one more technical question um, is around um, how you how you fund your 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 financing because of of course like the role model pipe has built this two sided uh, marketplace. Um, I'm sure there are also different options in terms of um, either if you go for this marketplace model or if you partner with banks in the background or lenders or if you build out build out your own balance sheet even. Um, Anything you can share on that? Um, as we grow, you know, we're obviously going to diversify our pools, pools of capital, which I think is only, only, only good news for, for our customers, right? I think the one thing that I would say is that because we are, because we're not a throughput business, right? Like, as in, it's not like we're just like, you know, we connect kind of to, to counterparties and kind of move on and, and take a margin. It's really important to us that our customers kind of, that our customers thrive and are able to, um, if they succeed, we succeed basically, right? If our customers, you know, suddenly, you know, everything's not working in month three, then it's a problem for us as well. And I think that aligns incentives with the, with the model. Yeah, fully agree. Um, no, it will be really interesting to see how, how um, your product will be built out over time. Um, and um, any, anything around next steps that are really important for, for Wit's journey um, or anything you, you want to share around? Um... So right now, to, to be perfectly honest, like since we launched, we've, we've just like had a lot of customers kind of inbound. And so a lot of the tooling is actually internal tooling, right? And so the yeah. customers who experience it in terms of speed and turnaround and attentiveness, probably yep. the kind of UX for them is not going to change for maybe the next couple of months because we're like busy building every day. Like, okay, we need to, to deal with this. We need to automate this. So it's a lot of kind sure. of internal, internal tooling to, to be perfectly honest. Um, um, perfect, perfectly honest. Um, so customers might not experience any different in terms of UI, but they'll experience a difference in terms of speed, quality of of of, of service, which is which is really important to us. Um, the kind of second piece beyond that will be a lot of kind of you know exciting kind of customer facing facing features, right? That you know will help to kind of move us beyond that kind of transactional piece to you know something you know to something more than that, um, and being like really that kind of long term partner for 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 our customers. I fully agree. I think that will be a defining factor for these type of um, SaaS financing companies. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, expense card, uh, uh, the expense card segment where you have been popping up a lot of players in a really short amount of time, which get a lot of funding. Um, so obviously you need to find, you need to develop towards product market fit beyond just the transactional bit of your business. So I, th I feel like that's going to be really, really exciting and really interesting to follow follow your path there. Um, so I would definitely recommend to listeners to check out uh, wit.sh. Um, with a double T to to see um, how how it works exactly, and if you're a SaaS founder, um, feel free to log in and check out how much um, your annual recurring revenue is worth at the moment. I think that's uh, uh, as you mentioned before, an amazing amazing tool to get back to and to check out um, how much that is worth and um, to to refresh that page, I guess. And um, anything else you, you would like to share with the listeners um, around Wit and how they can contact um, Wit and uh, yourself maybe as well. Yeah, so just yeah, just just reemphasize, you know, vit.sh, vitt.sh. Like, send off an application. We'll get back to you within within a day. Um, whenever you apply, we'll get back to you within within a day. Um, if you know, if anything is kind of you know unclear, or you have kind of questions, feel free to email me directly. Sacket at vit.sh, which s a k e t at vitt.sh. Otherwise, just um, ping me on on Twitter in, in in the DMs. I also like respond to customers like immediately on on, on my personal Twitter, which is at Sakit S A K E T R Kumar K U M A R. So 
sack it Arkuma. So yeah, I'm very, very available. Um, I'm wherever the customers are. Um, every member of the team is wherever the customers are. Um, so just ping us um, if you have any questions. Um, we're happy to answer them, clarify anything. Um, otherwise, yeah, just give a send off an application, non-binding, doesn't affect your, your credit score or anything like that. And we can tell you um, how much money we can give you and how much dilution we can save you. Amazing. Sounds great. So thanks a lot, Sakit, for taking your time and speak soon. Awesome. Thanks, Adrian. Have a lovely rest of your day.